0: This is Precepts Audio Message, P.A. 475. Nathan C. Johnson, Bible Teacher. For all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in truth. Okay, the book of Psalms. Psalm 38. This is another psalm by Israel's great shepherd, King David, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. This psalm is a prayer of one for deliverance from disease and from his enemies. And so he has a twofold complaint as he prays to the Lord. Now we see the disease is the major complaint in verses 1 through 11. And then he takes up the second complaint in verses 12 through 22. He speaks of his enemies. I think it's interesting. Of course, this is not an acrostic psalm, but it follows an acrostic psalm, and it has 22 verses, which I find interesting. Even though it's not acrostic, it has the same number of letters as is in the Hebrew alphabet. So this was probably during the three years when Absalom was fomenting his rebellion after his return from exile and and well, the punishment for David's sin with Uriah and Bathsheba was being prepared. Now, it seems that during this time, David was struck down with a terrible disease. And it seems a strange thing as we read the record in 2 Samuel of what happened at that point. While well, Absalom was plotting his rebellion, Second Samuel chapter 15 says, And it came to pass after this, that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses, and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early, and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so, that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is one of, the, of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, But there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom signed unto the king. Now, there's 40 years, of course, he wasn't fomenting his rebellion for 40 years because that would have made him an old man and David, older than David actually lived. But this is 40 years after David's anointing as king, I believe. So if David was anointed at about 15, he was about 55 here. But it was about three years, I think, that Absalom was doing this. Well, the odd thing when you read this is you wonder, what was David doing during this time? These people were coming to the king for justice, and Absalom is there to turn their hearts away from David. Well, how come there wasn't anybody there to hear their cases? Well, I think Absalom arranged it to make sure there wasn't. Well, how is it that Absalom was free to do this? And so even though there's no mention here in the historical record of Samuel of David having an illness we can kind of read between the lines and see that somehow David is indisposed he is not able to do anything about this Absalom is able to do this with impunity and David isn't around to stop it and I think when he realized that David was struck with a terrible illness we can see why it was that Absalom was able to do these things and not have David discover it or do anything to oppose him so it appears that during this time David was struck down with an illness and this illness was not just a happenstance, not just a bad fortune on David's part, but this illness was actually the Lord's hand against him, punishing him for his wickedness and what he'd done with Uriah and Bathsheba. Now it says that this psalm is to bring to remembrance, or that means for memorial. And probably it is used to remember this time and the Lord's deliverance afterwards. Perhaps later, after David had been delivered, and then he gave this psalm into the hands of the chief musician, as we see in the postscript, for public use, to remember the Lord's deliverance. Bollinger says that this psalm was used on the Day of Atonement, which was the yearly fast in Israel. So it says, verse 1, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. So again, the Lord was rebuking David. He was angry. He was wrathful against David. And this, I believe, was because of his terrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba, followed by the wicked murder of her husband. So the Lord is rebuking David in his wrath and chastening him in his hot displeasure or his burning anger. And notice here this typical to Hebrew poetry, the idea of the first line is repeated in the second. Instead of repeating sounds like in our poetry, we have repeating ideas in slightly different words. So he calls upon God not to do this, not to rebuke him in his wrath and chasten him in his hot displeasure. Verse 2, because he says, For thine arrow stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. So the Lord is firing arrows into David. And of course, these arrows are symbolic for his punishments that He is bringing against David. Now, this must have been quite a different experience for David. He was used to the Lord's divine favor and help. For 40 years, he has experienced the Lord on his side. He's experiencing the Lord. He's experienced the Lord delivering him from every difficulty. Experienced the Lord making all his paths smooth before him in his time of. Greatest trouble, the Lord has been there to help him. And yet now the Lord is firing arrows into him. And then he says, and your hand presses me sore. Again, the hand stands for the power. And presseth sore is actually the same word as stick fast in Hebrew. So your arrows pierced me or sunk down into me. And your hand pierced me or sunk down into me. So the arrows are God's power that is wounding David, that is punishing him. Verse 3, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. So he says there is no soundness in his flesh. And this is the form that Jehovah's arrows at his punishment had taken. And that is a disease was plaguing David's body. So there is no soundness, there is no health in David's flesh because of or in the face of your anger. So this was no natural ailment. He just hadn't been unfortunately struck with disease. No, this illness was sent to punish David for his sin. He says, neither is there any rest in my bones. Again, that's the Hebrew shalom. There's no soundness, there's no health, there's no goodness in my bones or Bones here stands for his substance. The body is flesh. Flesh and bones is a common Hebrew figure of speech for the body. Adam saw Eve and he says, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So it's a common Hebrew feast. We use this figure of speech, flesh and blood. But the Hebrews would use flesh and blood, they would also use flesh and bones. And David uses that here. There's no soundness in my flesh. There's no rest in my bones. Flesh and bones are the same. And again, this is because of or in the face of his sin. So this psalm was written in a day when Jehovah would bless or curse based on behavior. In Deuteronomy twenty-eight, he had told Israel that he would bless them or curse them based on their behavior. Now, it's true that sometimes, because of certain sins, physical illness can come on people. Like, for example, sexually transmitted diseases can, be, can come on people because of their sinful behavior. However, these are just a natural outcome of some of these sins, and they are not inflicted by Jehovah. For people can get these same illnesses by other means, for example, blood transfusions and the like. So we live in a time when God deals graciously with all, and so he does not inflict disease on anyone. And while sometimes sin carries its own unfortunate consequences, that's not because God is directly inflicting those consequences on people. It's just because that is the way things work. Yet in David's day, it was a part of God's covenant with Israel that God would bring punishment for sin, And David experienced it. And we also have to remember that Jehovah had identified himself with David. When he made David king of Israel, he placed David on the throne. David was his representative on earth. So that means when David sinned, it reflected on the Lord. And so the Lord had to punish David for his own namesake, which David had greatly blasphemed by his godless actions. So it was because of David's sin that this was happening to him. Verse 4, for mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden they are too heavy for me. So his iniquities had gone over his head. In other words, they have overwhelmed him like the waves that overwhelm a drowning man. Bollinger in the Companion Bible suggests that this refers to a porter. Like a porter carrying so many burdens that they are piled up above his head, imagine you got an arm load, and there's so many things piled on it it's over your head. Well, that would be too much for you, and this that picture fits well with the next line of the verse: "As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me." So, like someone carrying a load that's piled up over his head, it's too much for him. It's too heavy for him. He can't handle it. He's going to drop the load. He says, that's how my iniquities are. They're piled up over my head and they're too heavy for me. And indeed, what David had done was too much for him to bear. He could not reverse his sin. He couldn't reverse adultery and murder. He couldn't atone for adultery and murder. There's nothing he can do about it. It was too much for him. It was over his head. And indeed, who could bear the full weight of his own sin? And if we bore the burden of our own sin, we would all sink down in death. None of us could bear it. Verse 5, my wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. And these would be his wounds or his sores. It seems that David's body is covered with sores that stink and rot. And the fact is that as David describes his illness, it sounds very much like the plague of leprosy. And leprosy in the Bible is many times connected with sin. And the Lord inflicts it because of sin. And it's used, almost we could say, as a figure for sin. And so could the, could the illness that God afflicted David with have been this loathsome disease of leprosy? Well, I think it very well could have been. And these things are certainly true of lepers, that they, lepers stink. Their illness causes them to smell horribly. And then their very flesh seems to rot. So this would be an excellent description of leprosy. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. Again, in the face of my foolishness. And sin ultimately is the act of a fool. And again, in the Bible, often foolishness is not so much mental deficiency as it is moral deficiency. And David had indeed acted the fool in the things he'd done. Verse 6, I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. So he says, I am troubled. The Hebrew could literally mean I am bent over. I am bowed down greatly. And, of course, this was his illness that had bent him and bowed him down. It, of course, greatly humbled him. Then he says, I go mourning all the day long. And, of course, that would be because of the terrible illness and also because the realization of the sin and of the anger of the Lord that had caused it. Again, for this man who for at least 40 years had experienced the Lord's favor and blessing, is now feeling the brunt of the Lord's anger. And it must have been great sorrow for for David to experience that. Verse 7. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. So he says that his loins are filled with a loathsome disease. Well, his disease was loathsome, as he described it, stinking and rotting. But this word actually means burning. My loins are filled with burning. And so we can see that this disease was very painful. Of course, this can also be true of the STDs of today. They fill the loins with burning. And I think this was not one of our STDs today. This seems to be a leprosy. And he says, There is no soundness, there is no health in my flesh. I have no health left. And indeed, that would seem to be the case a leper is in. He's just full of a disgusting, loathsome illness. So there's a lot of pain involved as well. In verse 8, I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. So he says he is feeble and sore broken or greatly crushed. I am greatly crushed. And, of course, he was crushed under the hand of the Lord that was pressing him down. Then he says, I have roared. And that word is used of a lion roaring. Of course, here it's used of a cry of distress. I have roared by reason of the disquietness, the turmoil or the groaning. The disquietness of my heart, of my inner being. And again, he knew he, he was not only experiencing this terrible illness, but he knew that it was his beloved Yahweh who was inflicting this suffering upon him. And he knew that it, <laughs> Yahweh would not just turn against him. It was not just being unfair to him. He knew it was because of his sin that he had brought Yahweh's anger upon himself. So no wonder his heart, his inner being, was in turmoil. And he was crying out in distress and groaning. Verse 9, Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. So now David again speaks, he prays to the Lord. And this is one of the places where the Sopharim, the self-styled wise ones who took up their pens to edit the scriptures, changed the name of Yahweh to Adonai here, and sometimes we see they seem to have done this when they didn't think the Bible respect it was respectful to say Yahweh in a certain place. God apparently didn't respect himself enough. i have also heard it said it was a possibility that the rabbis had, 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 the scribes had actually made it a rule that every time they wrote the Lord's name they had to stop and go through a cleansing ritual before they could continue writing. So because of this tradition, it became very burdensome every time they had to write the Lord's name. So they cut the Lord's name out of some places in Scripture so they could write it faster. Well, that was an an awfully silly tradition if it actually caused them to alter the Scriptures. But at any rate, this is one of those places where they cut Yahweh's name out. But it should have been Yahweh, not Adonai. So he says, Yahweh, all my desire is before thee, or all my longing is before thee. Now he saw back in Second Samuel chapter eleven that he was, while well, he was trying to hide his sin, he was attempting to conceal what was in his heart from the Lord. Now, however, David has been confronted with his sin. Of course, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to him. And he has confessed and laid his sin before the Lord. So now he's free to lay all his longing and all his suffering before him as well. And we too can lay all our, desiring, all our desire before the Lord. And our instructions regarding prayer we can find in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where it says, Be careful or be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, your true union with God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we too can lay all our desire before the Lord, as David did. He says, All my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. Or that could also be groaning or sighing. It's not hid from thee. So this was David's grief and his sorrow were known to the Lord. Verse 10 My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. So his heart pants, which could mean it, it palpitates or it throbs violently. And he says, my strength fails me, that's that's physical might, his strength to endure, his vitality is failing. He says, as for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. And we speak of people's eyes lighting up with happiness, or lighting up with hope. And I think it's the same kind of figure here, that everything that would bring David happiness, or hope is gone, so there's nothing to light his eyes. Verse 11, my lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. So now he speaks of all his lovers and his friends, those who love him, those who are his friends, they nevertheless stand aloof from him, and they stand aloof from his sore. But this means a stroke. And this same word is often translated plague. You stand aloof from my plague. And in Leviticus chapter 13, in verse 2 it says, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague, that's the exact same word, like the plague of leprosy, then shall he be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of his sons the priests. And the priest shall look on the plague in the skin of his flesh. And when the hair in the plague is turned white, and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh, it is the plague of leprosy. Again, plague of leprosy. So this same word plague is actually used for leprosy. And so he says they stand aloof from my plague. And that, well, that was exactly what happened when you had the plague of leprosy is that everyone had to stand aloof from you no one could come near you your lovers your friends and even he says my kinsmen stand afar off your relatives your neighbors those closest to you couldn't come near you when you had the plague of leprosy and everyone even those who cared most about david would have had to do that if david's illness was indeed leprosy Now we have no record that David was struck with leprosy for his sin in the book of Samuel, but it would seem clear from this that such a thing did indeed take place. David actually uses the word that's connected with leprosy, the word plague or stroke. Now it would have been an appropriate thing, for Jehovah would often inflict leprosy as a punishment. And remember when he inflicted it on Miriam for her daring to speak against Moses, the Lord's servant. And he inflicted it on one of David's descendants, King Uzziah, for his sin and daring to enter into the temple to seek to offer the incense. So the Lord often inflicted leprosy as a punishment, and it was a symbol for sin. Now, if this did happen, why doesn't it say so in the history books? Well, the historical authors were under no obligation to record this fact. Indeed, it's a very negative and shameful fact about one of the heroes of the Bible. But we can see it clearly enough here. We can see that it did indeed happen. And like I say, it was an appropriate punishment in the light of David's sin. And David's sin, David not only did murder deserve death, but adultery deserved death. David deserved death twice over, and yet the Lord had forgiven him for his sin. And yet being struck even temporarily with leprosy certainly was and would have been an appropriate punishment and I believe it seems clear here that David was indeed punished for a time with the plague of leprosy and until the Lord apparently delivered him from it just as he did from the rebellion of Absalom and Ahithophel verse 12 They also that seek after my life lay snares for me. And they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things, and imagine deceits all the day long. So he speaks of those who seek his life. And notice here the introduction here in the second half of the psalm of the second complaint of David. His first complaint is his illness in verses 1 through 11. The second complaint in 12 through 22 are his enemies. And again, I believe that his enemies, like Ahithophel and Absalom, were using the occasion of David's illness to carry out plots against him. And perhaps David's friends had had the best intentions of not letting out that David was ill or that David had leprosy because they didn't want to shame the king in the eyes of the people. But that gave his enemies the opportunity to slander the king and claim that he was a neglectful king. He didn't care about his people, that he wasn't doing his job. And notice after we he speaks of the kinsmen who stand afar off, he says, they also that seek after my life. And could this indicate some of those kinsmen? In other words, Absalom were seeking his life. Life here is nefesh, the Hebrew word nefesh, which is often translated soul. But of course our English idea of soul is far from the Hebrew idea. Here it means they seek after me, myself, and indeed my life. They want to take it away from David. They also that seek after my soul, lay snares for me. Then he says, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things. And notice in the first line, they lay snares, that's what they do. They speak calamity, that's what they say. And then in the third line, they imagine deceits, that's what they think. So that's what we have in this portion, what they do, what they say, and what they think. So they lay traps for David. And then they speak, those who seek his hurt speak mischievous things. And mischievous things there is calamities. Of course they speak of bring calamity. Perhaps, Or perhaps they speak of calamity. They're hoping that David's illness will lead to his death. And then they won't have to lift a finger against him. He'll just die from his illness. And then they imagine deceits all the day long. Hebrews actually for imagine there is actually to mutter. They are muttering to themselves. Deceits. So they are imagining them, they're thinking them up, they're coming up with ways to defeat David if indeed he does recover. And they are deceiving people regarding David and what's happening to him. He says, verse 1, But I, as a deaf man, heard not. And I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. So in light of the actions of all these men and their words and their thoughts, David doesn't act on what he has heard. Just like a man who was deaf who hadn't heard it at all. He doesn't act on it, he doesn't respond to it. Again, perhaps this is because he could not act on it and respond to it because he was burdened down with illness. He says, I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. In light of all their accusations, he made no counter argument. Verse 14 Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. So through all this, David was as a man who doesn't hear. And notice again the Hebrew poetry, we have parallel ideas between verses 13 and 14. Both hear and mouth are the same word in these two verses. And the two lines of these two verses parallel each other. That's common in Hebrew poetry, the repetition of ideas rather than of sounds. He says, I was as a man who hears not. Man is ish, a male person. I was as a person who hears not. And in whose mouth there are no reproofs. And that would be no response, no argument. And again we see in 2 Samuel 15 how Absalom accused David of not caring about his people. And he accused it to all the men of Israel, all the men who had come to David for judgment. Absalom accused David to them of not caring about them and acted like he did. Of course what Absalom really cared about was power. But David made no responding argument. He like one who had nothing to say, as if Absalom's accusations were true. Well, they weren't true, but David had no response, and he, it was because he was in no position to, to respond. Verse 15, For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. So in thee, O Lord, do I hope. His expectation is in the Lord. It is not that David has refused to answer because he says, oh, I don't need to answer. Yahweh will save me. Well, no, he couldn't answer. He couldn't appear before the people because of his illness. Certainly he couldn't appear before them as a leper. So what then could he hope for? Well, he hoped he waited expectantly on Yahweh. When he couldn't help himself, he looked to Yahweh to help him. Well, we could learn much from this. And then he says, Thou wilt hear. He says, Yahweh will hear, and he will answer for David. And Yahweh did. He brought down those who plotted and schemed against David. He says, You will hear, O Lord, my God. And here we have another place where the Sopharim changed Yahweh to Adonai. But this should breed capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. O Yahweh, my God, not O Adonai, my God. Verse 16. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. So, this is what he said when he called on the Lord. So he said this to the Lord that he should, of course, deliver him, answer for him, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. And remember that David was the Lord's representative on earth. So for them to rejoice over David would be to rejoice as if they were winning the victory against the Lord. So He says, don't let them rejoice over me as if they had defeated your representative. He says, when my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. And when David stumbles, they gloat. They love it when David is shamed, when David is brought down. Indeed, there are many people who hate a righteous ruler. They don't want a righteous ruler. They don't want someone like David to be in charge. And they like nothing better than when a righteous ruler slips up. Verse 17, for I am ready to halt and my sorrow is continually before me. He says, I'm ready to halt, I'm ready to stumble. We might say he's teetering on the brink and only Jehovah stands between him and disaster. So he says, I'm ready to halt, to stumble and my sorrow is continually before me. His sorrow or his pain. And again, his disease was a constant reminder of his troubles. We don't see much of his disease in these last verses. We saw that in the first 11 verses. In these last 11, it's his enemies. But there are some echoes of it. His pain is a constant reminder of his troubles. Verse 18, For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. So David says he will declare, he will speak of his iniquity. And this is necessary. For a long time, David tried to keep his iniquity quiet. He tried to cover it up. But now he says he will declare it. And this is necessary that we state our sin as sin in order to come to the place of broken confession before God. As long as we try to belittle our sin, try to blame it on somebody else, say it's not our fault, say it's exaggerated, it's not that big a deal, well, we can never come to a place of true submission and true confession before God, as long as that's our attitude. When we're willing to declare our sin, that shows a heart that God has brought around to the right place regarding that sin. So I will declare of my iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. Or I will be anxious about it, I will be troubled about it. His sin bothers him. And sin bothers all those whose hearts God has made soft over their sin. We see that David was a very emotional man. He was a man with a tender heart. And we can see that throughout his life. But sin had hardened his tender heart terribly. Imagine David, the man with of such emotion, who in 2 Samuel 11.15 wrote a letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him, that he may be smitten and die. Well, sin has a way of hardening the heart, of turning a heart hard. But now Yahweh has made David's heart tender again. And his sin vexes him, it troubles him. Verse 19, but mine enemies are lively and they are strong and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. So he admits his sin, but he says, my enemies are active and powerful. And David knows there is much power arrayed against him. Both his extremely handsome and popular son, and his incredibly wise and knowledgeable counselor are leading a rebellion against him. And in the the same way, the enemies of truth and righteousness in our day seem numerous and powerful, very active. And we believe that the enemies of truth and righteousness will never be completely overcome without the Lord's help. So, David had active and powerful enemies. He says, They that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. And the idea of wrongfully is of emptily, with no reason. And in just the same way was the Lord Jesus Christ hated without a cause by his enemies. He says, Those that hate me wrongfully or emptily no, for no reason are multiplied. And from the actions of his son Absalom, it came to be that all the men of Israel who were coming to David for judgment believed Absalom's slanders against his father. And so the men of Israel started to hate David. And yet they did it for no reason. David had not really neglected them. And indeed, if Absalom had been anything but a scoundrel, when his father was ill, he could have stepped in and brought the people judgment. He was the very one who could have filled in for David, and yet instead he refused to give the people judgment and blamed it on his father. So these men of Israel hated him, they hated him wrongfully, and they multiplied more and more all the time because of what Absalom was doing. Verse 20, They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. So those people render or return reward Evil for good. We can see evil here is calamity. And good, of course, is good things, benefits. And what had David ever done for his people, but tried to benefit them, tried to help them? He'd risked his life to save them from their enemies. Time and time and time again, he had tried to do good for his people. And yet they were bringing calamity upon him. The very people he had benefited. His son. How much had he done for his son? or his respected counselor. Those who return calamity for benefit, for good, evil for good, are mine adversaries. In Hebrew, literally, this is are my Satans. Remember that Satan means adversary. So we speak of the adversary, the Satan. Of course, that's that powerful supernatural being. We believe is a fallen cherub who rebelled against God. Tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, and who is God's constant adversary. But really Satan with a little s, not a proper name, just means an adversary. So those who render evil for good are my Satan's, my adversaries. Because I follow the thing that good is. They you know they put a lot of words in there in the King James and Art and Hebrew. Because I follow good. What is good? What is beneficial? And David, trying to bring benefit to his people, has just incensed his enemies. (laughs) The very things that would bring good makes them his enemies. Well, it seems that that's the case today, that those people who try to do good, sometimes try to do good for people, they hate them for it. And that certainly happens with the wicked. They hate the very ones who try to benefit them. Verse 21, Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Now the word forsake here is the very same word as we had in verse 10. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me, my strength forsakes me. So David's own strength, his vitality, forsook him, but he says, You don't forsake me, Jehovah. Don't forsake me. O my God. Be not far from me. And remember, his friends and his kinsmen were standing aloof from him. His lovers, all those who cared about him, were aloof from him. But he says to Jehovah his God, don't be far from me. Don't be far from me. Verse 22, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So he says, hurry to help me, to succor me, to bring me the help and the comfort that I need. O Lord, my salvation. And the Lord was indeed the one David looked to for salvation, for deliverance, both from illness and from enemies. Now here again we have Yahweh in the primitive text was altered by the Sophrim to Adonai. But this should be O Yahweh, my salvation, not O Adonai, my salvation. Then we have to the chief musician, even to Jethethon. And again, we talked about when we have chief musician psalms, these are psalms that are dedicated for public worship. Now, this was probably not at the time when David first sang this, during his trouble and his illness, but probably later, when he wanted to remind his people of the salvation of the Lord. He gave it to Jedethon for public worship. Although Rotherham thinks it might not have been David himself who did this, but some later king, he suggests... Hezekiah, and Hezekiah was apparently the one who put together the Psalms and made it into a complete book from just a collection of individual songs. He put it into book form, put them all together. And that Hezekiah might have given it to the chief musician. Well, of course, we can't know at this late date who exactly dedicated for public worship. But whoever did that wanted all Israel to know that the Lord is the one we can look to for help, even when our Sorrows are brought on us by our own sin. Even when our case seems hopeless, both through illness or through enemies, we can look to the Lord for help. Now, it's dedicated not just to the chief musician, but to Jethan. Jethan means praising. And he was one of three who are often listed together, we believe were the three chief musicians. Now, Jethan is the only one of the three who apparently did not write any psalms. We have several psalms dedicated to him. Now, the author is always put at the beginning of the psalm, like we had it here, a psalm of David. Whereas here, if it's dedicated to a person, like to Jedethon here, it's put at the end of the psalm. And now in our modern, a lot of our modern Bibles, they confound this and put the postscript and the prescript together as a prescript. And so they have this wrong. So here it makes it look like both Jedethon and David wrote this psalm, which doesn't make any sense. No, Jed, uh, wrote Psalm 39, but Jedethon belongs to Psalm 38. And all Jedethon psalms, in fact, are, his name is put in the, attached to the wrong psalms in our modern Bibles. But Jedethon psalms are 38, 61, and 76, not 39, 62, and 77 like they appear in most Bibles. Now all these Psalms, 38, 61, 76, they all speak of deliverance. And I would say they rather are ascending. Here David is in the midst of trouble hoping for deliverance. Here uh, or in Psalm 61, the Lord has heard David's cry and he's already well on the way to deliverance. In Psalm 76, deliverance is realized in the kingdom of God. Now as far as these chief musicians are concerned we can see their names listed in First Chronicles 25 where in verse 1 we read Moreover David and the captains of the host separated to the service of the sons of Asaph and of Heman and of Jedithon and these were the three chief musicians. Again, Asaph and Heman have psalms where they're in the title, the prescript, they apparently wrote them. Jedethon only has psalms where he's in the postscript, apparently they're given to him to perform. But Asaph, Heman, and Judathan, who should prophesy, speak the Lord's words in song, with harps, with psalteries, with cymbals, and the number of the workmen according to their service was of the sons of Asaph, Zachar and Joseph and Nethaniah and Asarela, the sons of Asaph, under the hands of Asaph, which prophesied according to the order of the king. Of Jedithan, the sons of Jedithan, Gedaliah and Zeri and Jeshiah, Eshabiah and Mattathiah, six under the hands of their father Jedithan, who prophesied with a harp to give thanks and to praise the Lord. Again, notice Jedithan is connected with praise. Of Heman, the sons of Heman, Bucaiah, Mataniah, Uziel, Sheb- Shebuel, and Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliatha Eliatha, Gidalti, and Romamti Ezer, Josh Bekesha, Malathi, Hothir, and Mahaziath. All these were the sons of Heman the king's Seer in the words of God, to lift up the horn. And God gave to Heman fourteen sons and three daughters. All these were under the hands of their father for song in the house of the Lord, with cymbals, psalteries, and harps, for the service of the house of God, according to the king's order, to Asaph, Jethan and Heman So we see that the temple service was divided with two three chief singers or chief musicians with all the musicians under them and those were Heman Jethan and Asaph Now these same three groups sang at the dedication of Solomon's temple during Solomon's reign 2 Chronicles chapter 5 and verse 12 So they were first set up by David, and Solomon certainly used them. And the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, mm. stood at the east end of the altar, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Mm. So at the dedication of Solomon's temple, we had, again, these three chief singers. Now in 2 Chronicles... Chapter 35 and verse 15. During the reign of Josiah. It says, and the singers, the sons of Asaph, of course, by now we're many generations later from the actual man Asaph. But the singers, the sons of Asaph, the descendants of Asaph, were in their place according to the commandment of David. So all the way down in Josiah's days, they were still dividing things as David had done. And Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, the king's seer. So here Jeduthun is called a seer or a prophet. And the porters waited at every gate. They might not depart from their service, for their brethren the Levites prepared for them. So Jedithan was a prophet as well, even though we have nothing written by him in our Bibles that we know of. Bullinger thinks that Jedithan is the same one who is called Ethan in 1 Chronicles 15, 17 and 19, where it says that so the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and of his brethren Asaph, the son of Berechiah, and of the sons of Mirari, their brethren, Ethan, the son of Cushaiah. Then verse 19, so are the singers Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were appointed to sound with cymbals of brass. So it seems in these two verses it calls him Ethan, but that's really a, another name for Jedithan. And Jedithan, meaning praising, might have been a title that the man Ethan was given, since his choir was particularly the praise choir. So it's interesting that this psalm about David's illness and about David's enemies, where David is seeking deliverance, is given to be performed by the praise choir because of the anticipation of the deliverance. Well, that's Psalm 38. And we'll see the same theme continues into Psalm 39, which is again a psalm of David, and again as David suffering from illness. And we'll consider that psalm in our next study.